Everybody, welcome to This Good Word. I'm here with Kurt Willems. Hey, Kurt. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Um, you were telling me earlier in Seattle, you wish it was more sunny, but it's pretty cool. We have lots of sun here in Minneapolis. Okay. Uh, even okay. in the winter. Today, it's bright blue, but it's also mm. like 11. I was going to say <laughs> it's probably cold, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at least here, I know. So we don't get as cold as you all do, but when it's... Uh, sunny it's typically freezing cold for us you know yeah, because there's yeah. no, none of that like right. layer of insulation or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i get it <laughs> yeah yeah um well you just put out a book echoing hope uh you're also uh, a podcaster the theology curator podcast and so yeah, i know yeah. you love talking about life jesus theology and all the above so we're gonna we're gonna get into all of it but um right. Tell us your spiritual background first, if you would. Yeah. Oh, man. Glad to do that. And honestly, a uh, huge honor to be here with you. And uh, I've caught a couple episodes and kind of just know your style and just appreciate that uh, kind of conversational style. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I just love um, it. I, my my thing is I only talk to people I'm interested in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I love it. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I just yeah. keep I just keep going. So you, And you're definitely one of them. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So spiritual background. I grew up in a... Christian home, but not. <laughs> and that, that'll come through when we talk about the book, I think, a little bit. So um, everyone in my life, in my you know sphere of influence, I would say, yeah, conservative evangelical Christian, you know, kind of your run-of-the-mill evangelicals. Uh, I uh, had home issues that were really hard. So when I was at home, my mom is a Christian. But there was abuse in the home and some of that, and uh, that'll come into our conversation a little bit, I'm sure. But um, overall, the narrative I was brought into was Jesus loves me, and Jesus is good news, and I can follow Jesus and experience the uh, goodness of that relationship. And um, from the age of like four and a half, when I did that whole prayer thing, you yeah. know, which, which it, you know, my kid, we just kind of are like, you, you knew Jesus this whole time because we've always talked about Jesus, yeah. you know, like we, yeah. we we're not necessarily doing that with her. Um, but, you know, I, I still find that marker as yeah. something important, you know, yeah. to the to the story. Um, and, you know, spiritually speaking, uh, had a really traumatic childhood. But every time I wasn't in my immediate home context, I had a lot of opportunity and love and um, nurture. So I, I had this like duality of life and my nurture often was in the context of the church. Uh, yeah. People, people knew we had it hard. They didn't know about the extent of the abuse, but they, they knew that, uh, things were hard. I mean, in fact, one of the best friends in my life to this day is about a year older than me mm. and a little like broader in the shoulders, we'll say. And so I got his hand-me-downs every year. His parents would make sure I had things. Mm. They threw me a birthday party at one point. Wow. And these are people that knew me from birth forward because of the local church. And so um, my experience of church overall, all the way through high school, very positive. I mean, I um, certainly was more conservative, especially politically, I would say during those years. I think, uh, you know, you you inherit what you inherit. Yeah. Right. Um, by the time I was in my 20s, I started to unpack some of that, both theological and politically, some of the stuff I'd been handed. But 
I don't look back at those years as oppressive or negative. I have a lot of friends who have walked through church contexts that were much harder than mine. Yeah. And um, I honor those stories. That just isn't my story so much. Mine's Mine overall has been much more of a, oh, there's a little more to learn. There's a little mm-hmm. more to gain. There's a little more freedom here, you know, and it's been much more of that process. Um, that granted, you know, I started working for churches and there was pain there. I had a couple of painful experiences there that uh, were sort of where I realized, oh, wow, this thing can really wound you. This thing can yeah. really disappoint you. Um, and, and so I'm not going to try and gloss over it as though church has been easy. It's been hard, especially as an adult, especially as an adult who has deconstructed and reconstructed some stuff, you know, and that's, that's a lot of us now. I mean, that's not, that's uh, more common than it used to be maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I think. Um, I would also, um, need to add that I grew up in a Mennonite brethren church. Um, I didn't adopt Mennonite brethren teachings, like the distinctive Anabaptist type things like nonviolence and those sorts of distinctives until I was like 24. So it gives you an idea of how much the context really shapes the expression of church. We were Mennonite and there were some pacifists there, but it was kind of a joke, you know, it was like, really, you really like, that's silly. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And this is during like the, um, uh, I was I was a junior in high school when the Twin Towers got attacked. So, wow. um, you know, this is all the stuff going on in my formative years. And so during those early years, I thought we got to go do do violent things to Iraq. Like, I, you know, I, I had no idea what I was talking about at that point. Um, but what ends up happening is I stumble into the work of um, various writers, Brian McLaren, Rob Bell. Um, Dan Kimball early on, a guy named Ron Martoya was really influential early on. Um, and then eventually N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright reshaped how I think about um, history and scripture. And that really has set me on a trajectory. And so, um, you know, Tom isn't a pacifist, so he's missing the mark on that for sure. And some <laughs> other things he could probably be a little better at. But um, we'll send him an email. Yeah, well... <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think he, uh, um, but he's the best non-pacifist version I've seen as far as like a figure, like a leader. I think he, he gets very close to that. And I, I, I'm not so tied up in that, that I'm like, you're not a pacifist. You're not on my team or whatever. It's just for me, that's a distinctive that's made an impact. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, now fast forwarding, um, I, probably in my mid twenties got really committed to how did I miss half of the gospel? You know, how did I miss that? This thing's about justice, creation, care, um, these sorts of issues. I, I shifted how I voted during that season of life and, you know, all of that kind of unpacking politically that affected my spirituality as I started really focusing on the red letters of Jesus and that sort of thing. And what I eventually stumbled into was that um, by itself, the justice stream was not fulfilling for me. It wasn't satisfying. It, it felt like it was only a reaction against what I didn't have before. Yeah. And so I've gathered some of the good things from before that were more personal, I suppose, even though I have different ways of talking about that. And I uh, found, found myself deeply committed to the spiritual formation tradition. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, there's a lot of spiritual writers that have really impacted me, uh, so much so that I ended up uh, becoming a spiritual director. So, so a lot of this has uh, been part of my journey. Um, yeah, and I would say right now in this moment in life, um, I I feel like I'm closer to Jesus than I've ever been. Um, it's not easy. A lot of pain and things I hold, I hold them differently than I used to. I think, but it's definitely been one of those situations where. Um, through pain, through questions, through ambiguities, I've come to believe even more that Jesus is, uh, who we see in the gospels and, um, that, that, yeah, that energizes me. So, well, one of the things that was compelling for me right away in your book was your, um, insistence that we need to learn how to be human from Jesus. Yeah. He's the prototypical human being. And that, um, you know, because I think many of us miss that memo or, or really, you know, I say that probably we just, we grew up in churches who implicitly and explicitly maybe taught that, you know, Jesus was kind of a divine robot that walked around knowing everything. And so the last thing we wanted to focus on was his humanity because our humanity was so flawed, so deeply flawed. So Mm -hmm. we weren't going to put that on Jesus. And so, um, how did, did did your Mennonite brethren, uh, newly found Mennonite brethren background, help you with that, or who were the inspirations? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. I mean, I think there's a couple of layers to it, right? So certainly, as someone who has come full circle and adopted some Anabaptist sort of distinctives, um, we talk about discipleship. We talk about following Jesus as both a relationship and a, um, you know, obedience almost is a word that comes up a lot. And, and so when you look at Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, it it is so human. I mean, it is so just obvious, like, here's what you do in real life. If you want to be like me, I mean, that's what the whole thing's talking about. And uh, I grew up thinking, man, this is a great ideal to shoot for. Or, or if it wasn't this great ideal to shoot for, depending on my stage and wrestling with stuff, it was, uh, oh, this is what Jesus wants in very small personal relational pockets when it's convenient, you know, especially when it comes to like, um, not, not attacking, uh, a violent, you know, the violent stuff. And, um, and so I would say that Anabaptist thread, that Mennonite thread definitely influenced that early without me quite knowing it was influencing. And then I would say, as my theology of new creation expanded that, uh, you know, this thing's a project that started in creation and, um, will end in renewed creation as that came into view. That's when I started really seeing, wait a second, God created humankind as an image bearer to reflect that love into the world. And in doing so, we are doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing as a human. Um, sure. Genesis three through 11 tell, However, metaphorically or not, you know, the the story of what it looks like when um, free creatures have uh, chosen a different way. But at the end of the day, there's this reality that every human being is designed to be an, an image bearer of love into the world. Mm-hmm. And so you start connecting the dots and you look at Jesus's life and, and you start to realize he's portrayed that way throughout the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, the writers are trying to tell us like, Look at Jesus, because when you look at Jesus, you see the human being that you are designed to be. 
Um, no wonder the Apostle Paul will say like second Adam to describe yeah, Jesus. Yeah, this is yeah. the Adam that should have been, yeah. you know? So, so yeah, I think that started to come into view. And uh, I think probably my NT writisms are probably tied into that for sure. Um, but I, I started noticing he wasn't the only person talking about this. There was a whole um, expanding network of Christian leaders and thinkers that were thinking in these categories of creation, creation renewed, you know, and human beings as the, the uh, mediary um, created um, being uh, for God to the world. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of two ways, I guess, that I've been influenced to consider this. And, you know, um, at the end of the day, Jesus as a human, he's relatable, you know, I, yeah. I think that's a payoff too. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just think about so much that we don't know about Jesus from the gospels and, you know, but certainly we can imagine Jesus as a teenager and getting his heart broken and, mm. you know, and I mean, even from the standpoint of abuse, um, certainly Jesus was abused, uh, certainly yeah. he was on the cross and in that whole passion event. Yeah. But, and there's nothing to suggest that Jesus was abused as a child, but we don't know. I mean, Right. He was a right. full, he was a full human that have a full range of emotions as a human and the full range of experiences as a human with maybe a very few debatable exceptions. But yeah. so, yeah. I, you know, and to me that, that, that makes me feel like that, that full human Jesus makes me love God more. It makes me respect mm -hmm. the divinity mm -hmm. of Jesus more, actually, not less. You know, mm -hmm. it's like some people say, yeah. oh, you're just, you're a humanist or you, you know, Jesus is, what are you saying? Jesus, you know, doesn't have all power. It's like, no, I, you know, let's, yeah. let's, let's read the scriptures and Philippians. Yeah. You know, we read, yeah. actually, yes, he did, but he laid it all down. And so should mm -hmm. we, you know, and, and so I'm very, I'm very compelled by that. Yeah, um, me too. Thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I do want to get into a little bit of your childhood, if you're as much as yeah. you're willing to say, because I know that that you, I mean, right in the beginning, chapter one, you do write about some of your experiences with your mother's boyfriend who became your stepfather. But um, uh, whatever you'd like to share from that experience, um, mm -hmm. why don't you? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. It's interesting. You you go to write a book about the humanity of Jesus, and then you realize that you can't touch the humanity without touching the pain, right? Right. Uh, so this is version two. I mean, in the big sense, it's version two of a book idea I had. I, I wanted to just do humanity of Jesus. Let's inspire people. And then I realized in doing that, man, I've got to tap into something that's real for me. Yeah. And you know, as a child, uh, my, my parents divorced really young. I, I don't have memories with them really together. Um, I would have been two and a half, I think, three. Um, my dad was in the picture, and that comes up in the book. Yeah. But he's in the picture in a way that's court-ordered, you know, every other weekend. And, um, and so my dad was like this safe place throughout my childhood. Uh, but early, probably in 19... I don't know, 88, 89, like I'm a four-year-old, five-year-old kid. My mom started dating a guy who was great at first, as some of them often are, and um, became violent. And um, it was sporadic, but it was constant fear, right? Because you never know when it's going to happen again. And, and so in the book, what I tried to do was try to share some of these moments. Um, 
And believe it or not, I mean, I'm very selective about how I tell stories, how much of the stories I tell. There was a story in there that's really central to my story, to my personal narrative that I chose not to put in there, mostly because I was like, does this violate, you know, my mom has trusted me with telling these stories. I didn't want to overshare hers, right? And so I had to negotiate some of those things. But, um, you know, I have several memories of um, being hit for no reason, um, or my mom being hit right in front of me. And from a young age, knowing that I had to brace myself. And it was terrifying. There was about, I don't know how many years it would have been, but my guess right now, at least off the top of my head, was probably about two or three years he actually lived with us. Um, and during those years, I would have been first, second, third grade, somewhere in that zone. Um, during those years, I, I was terrified. I mean, I tell one story in the book where, uh, eventually he decides that it's better if I sleep in the living room instead of my bedroom, because he felt that, uh, having privacy at night, complete privacy from me at night, uh, by sectioning off our little section eight house, right. Would be good for him somehow. Uh, I think he put some weights in my bedroom at that point, you know, just, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, I tell a story in the book of, um, being so afraid to get out of bed that I actually defecate myself mm -hmm. before bed because I was afraid to go into the hallway, into the restroom, Yeah, you know? So, so there's multiple moments where I've had to go back and look at my story and ask myself, is God present in that? Yeah. And if God is present in that, what does it mean for me as a human being trying to follow, uh, as you said, the prototypical human being? And whether our pain is from childhood or somewhat fresh, my, my, my sense is that Jesus doesn't make the pain go away. But what Jesus can do in those painful stories is show us ways in which his radical empathy is present to us. The, there, there's been nothing more healing than realizing that God feels sorrow for my pain. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also at the same time tells anyone who wants to, anyone who is open and able in, in a sense that by following me, you can, you can make meaning out of pain, even if it means it leads to your death. And, uh, so, so those things have been really significant for me. Um, I've shared in smaller groups, my stories about some of this stuff sharing it with the world is definitely a bit more intimidating yeah um, i i you know it's one thing to put it in a sermon like hey i was abused here's a story mm -hmm. only done that a couple of few times but it's another thing to say hey a major publisher is going to be putting this in print internationally mm -hmm. here it is and so i had to wrestle with that too right but at the end of the day um what I am hearing from the few people who have actually read it is that those stories help dr help lead other people into their own unique pain. Um, and that, that was really my, my hope that uh, they would show like, hey, it's okay that you've been hurt. Not that it was okay to be hurt, but that you have been hurt. Um, and, and there is a God who wants to re reimagine your future in light of that pain. Yeah, thank you for sharing that as sensitively as you do and did, and also for framing that within maybe the larger story. And I think one of the things that I found interesting as I was starting to read is that your, your book and especially the first chapters, like, like you were 
you move us to this experience with this Ignatian yeah. experience with imagining Jesus there and what would Jesus do? And, and, and it was, it, I don't want to give anything away, but it was really compelling to me that, um, you know, where it turns out is like, and I didn't experience yeah. Jesus yeah. there with yeah. me, at least not yet. And I felt mm -hmm. like that was, I'm so glad. I mean, I'm not glad for your experience. No, you no, it's good. Yeah. yeah. But I was so, I felt like that was such a universally human thing to write that I was experiencing healing and counseling. And, um, and I was given this great gift that I, I still use in my life, this imaginative, you know, um, looking at the scriptures with all my senses and yeah. I tried yeah. it, but then Jesus didn't show up. And yeah, we've all been there, uh, you know, not in that exact situation, but, that right. didn't end in a super happy bow. Again, I'm not happy for that about you, but for the reader, that helps me go, okay, yeah. I can trust yeah. it. I can yeah. trust them. Wow. That's a, thank you for that. That's a, oh man, that that's, I'm receiving that. I haven't heard it. Uh, I haven't heard someone reflect it back to me that way. So thank yeah. you for that. Um, and I, and I uh, just, you know, I hope I hope I I create multiple on ramps for different readers in different places, and um, people who know me, I think, will say this represents the real Kurt, um, and th and that's what I tried to do in this book. I, um, not, you know, I think I think when I was younger, when I was just getting my my blogging off the ground, I had some smaller book offers at that point. I often say this, if I would have written the book I wanted to write about nine or 10 years ago, I would not, first of all, I would not be the person I am today. Yeah. Second of all, it would have sucked because <laughs> it would have been about, let me tell you everything that's wrong with the church. Let me tell you about everything that I've deconstructed and how you can magically reconstruct. And, um, and those books are helpful at times. I'm not dissing that as an overall category, but it would have been just like a lot of other books that are probably better at that than I am. Um, but now I'm in a phase of my life where I want, I wanted to write something that when my kids are older, if they wanted to read a book by me, they could read this and know their dad and be able to say, that is my dad, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, so. we don't know each other. You know, right. I've read some stuff that you've written and, but it, it comes across as authentic, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. when yeah. you read enough, you kind of, you can pick up on like, oh, well that that sounds a lot like this other author, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. So yeah, yeah. I think it's very well written and it, I think it, I think you accomplished what you set out to do. I think it, wow. or it, you know, from, and maybe that, maybe that helps to hear from someone that really doesn't know you, that it seems mm -hmm. authentic to you. Um, yeah. Like it has yeah. your, it has a voice that seems to be yours. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So, so I, you. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, so you, you talked about eight or nine years ago and starting to blog and having some book ideas, but and, and you talked about this being, you know, this other idea, but how did Echoing Hope begin to germinate inside of you? Like when, when was that and, and how did that start to bubble up? So I think the first chapter I wrote that is still in the book as it exists now um, is the one about presence. Yeah. It was about, uh, I, I tell a story about moving to Seattle and basically realizing that I was having something go on emotionally that kept me from engaging, being present to the moment. And um, 
that triggered a series of events and conversations that led me to therapy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the first time in my life I'd been to therapy, but I didn't think I would need therapy again. You know, I've been through child abuse therapy as a kid, uh, some marital stuff early on, just uh, more check-in-ish. And got here, rose-colored glasses. We're going to plant the coolest church that's ever existed. And I look around and nothing. Anyway, sorry. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I I mean, you just realize that so many of our ambitions, as beautiful as parts of them are, the the fluff is a bunch of crap. I mean, really, it's just a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of ego-driven stuff. And and so I I think I hit, looking back, I think I hit this ego wall intersecting with the fact that I had um, some subconscious trauma that still needed some more processing and more healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I realized one day on the couch as my daughter was playing, my, my brain was saying, play with her. My body was saying, no, thank you. Yeah. And that, that was problematic. And wow. so, wow. um, that chapter is definitely, um, talking about the process of learning to be present is, uh, probably the first thing I wrote. And I wrote that thinking about, my kid was like three and a half or four who's now seven and a half so it gives you a bit of a timetable there yeah and and i didn't know what that was going to be i i went through multiple rounds of figuring out um and and eventually i was like wait this speaks to the humanity of jesus and so i i had a whole framework for that um i think i probably chapter two a version of that was in there a couple other chapters were in there um and I actually went to, you know, my literary agent loved it, mm-hmm. um, that version. We went to some publishers and the feedback we got from publishers was, this is awesome content. Where's the felt need? Like, what are you going to tap into that's going to be something for the reader besides interesting theological insights that may apply to your life? Mm-hmm. And I took that feedback as disappointed as I was trying to get a book deal, you know, all of that and um, continue to just sit with. Like what's here that I'm not seeing? And that's when the idea for um, tapping into my pain uh, came and sat with that for a while and started writing. And I wrote that story and it it kind of, even the way I wrote that intro story that you mentioned, um, I, I looked back and I was like, almost by accident, I tapped into the five senses that Ignatian prayer tells you to tap into. And I just started to see some stuff bubble up and then I realized that if I wanted to really tell a story about Jesus in pain, what better way to do that than look at the span of his life and just pull some themes out of his life from birth to resurrection. And so that became Echoing Hope eventually. Yeah. Well, and we hope it's, we hope, uh, we do hope. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we hope it's timely. I think it is. Mm. I mean, you know, I think a book about, the cool humanity of Jesus, you know, is interesting, but a book about hope right now. Yeah. Where boy, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of division and there's a lot of echo chambers and hate. Mm -hmm. And so to think Mm -hmm. about becoming human and, you know, moving through our pain, not, and I love how you kind of, you very clearly do not depict Jesus slash God as the genie in the bottle who takes away your pain. Yeah. Present, you know, that would be a hollow promise, which you don't give. Um, Mm. 
So what do you talk about? Um, of course, I mean, you know, I sort of know because I've read, but but yeah, what do you talk about as far as like how would you say hope comes? Hmm. Wow, that's a big question. I, I know, mean, it's, it's good. It's, it's a good that. question. Oh, I love it. It's uh, it's good. So so I would say that for me, and and I'm sharing my lens on this, right? And and as I say in the book, like, you know, so the an old version of this was going to be called something like human like Jesus, right? Yeah. That was the the idea. I have a chapter that's titled that basically. Um and one of my friends who's a person of color was just like, but when you say that, make sure you're saying it in a way that identifies the fact that you're a particular type of human with a particular kind of set of intersections, you know, white, male, Christian, straight, et cetera. Um, and so I, I want to preface this, like, this is one lens for thinking about Jesus' humanity. I'm always going to be limited because um, I'm not a marginalized Palestinian Jewish man in the first century, right? So um, I think our, our sisters and brothers of marginalized um, in marginalized situations probably have a, a quicker lens to that Jesus than we do. But that said, um, I think we all deal with pain. And so how do we access the hope? For me, it's been when I see that Jesus isn't this distant, far out God character, you know, Jesus isn't Zeus with a bolt about to get me. Yeah. Jesus isn't um, aloof like a grandpa, you know, all the images, but that Jesus is the, the radical presence of God, the intersection of heaven and earth um, in a human being. Like that to me is where hope starts because um, what better way to figure out what it means to live the human life than to have one example who is actually God doing it, you know? What happens when God shows you how to do human life the right way? Yeah. Well, everything opens up. So for me, hope is, yes, God through, you know, Jesus, way more resource than I am to do the human thing well. Hmm. But Jesus steps in and says, I want to partner with you in the context of community, within the context of church, within the context of the global church, right? So there's all these layers that Jesus does this in, but I want to partner with you in guiding you towards those things that will open up the possibility that you can be human after all. And I want to also guide you into those spaces that hold you back so that you can confront them honestly, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it's actually in the, um, in the desire to become self-aware with Christ, with Jesus, um, and, and to follow him through those really hard things that are true about us, that hope opens up because um, Jesus says, you can actually be like me. Mm -hmm. You can actually become more like me. Um, I don't give up on you. So why in the world, Kurt, would you give up on yourself? And, and that, oh my gosh, that for me opens up so many pathways to healing and formation, um, to know that there's a God who doesn't give up on me yeah. so much so that here's what it looks like to be human. I'm giving you an example, a specifically contextual example, but an example. Um, I'm not just going to give you a codified set of rules to follow. Um, there's so much hope in that there's hope in a resurrection. Of course, like I'm a big resurrection guy. I think, uh, Jesus walking out of a tomb changes everything. And the fact that we're promised that same future changes everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah. I like, I like everything you said, especially tuned into the, 
being invited to partner. Jesus partners with you. Yeah. Um, which is a nuanced way of looking at following Jesus or mm-hmm. being discipled by Jesus in a way that requires, well, I guess it requires um, consent from you. It, it requires yeah. um, desire from you, but it also mm-hmm. supplies um you know it's not it's not a dictator following you you know telling you to do something it's mm-hmm. someone that someone that's partnering with you has your interest in mind as well you know yeah yeah and mm-hmm. the other thing that popped in my mind is that you know i think at the same time that jesus says you can be like me i think there's also a rascally part of jesus that kind of looks at us and says and you know you already are you know, Hmm, yeah, there's already so much of you that already is, you know, and because I think for each one of us that even though it is contextual for each one of us, it's part of the beauty of, of even the Bible is that we're forced to say, well, I didn't live a life like Jesus lived in the first century, but I am living my life right now. And so I'm forced Hmm. to actualize it. Um, and as Dallas Willard used to say, you know, bless his sweetheart, you know, to live my yeah. life as if Jesus were living it, you know, if you're a plumber, Jesus, the plumber, Ooh, that's right. You know? And so I like, I like that. And sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm ripping now just because I'm excited. Oh, I love it. I love it. And you're, I mean, what you're saying is definitely in continuity with what I try to write and what I believe. I mean, that. That oh well said thank you. Well, yeah. I think we're we're just pinging off each other because we're yeah. we get excited about a lot of the same things. Can I ask you yeah. or, like yeah. can I ask you three or four like just rapid fire questions, just fun stuff? Let's see how quick my brain is, but we'll try uh, it. Yeah, I mean, I, my brain is shot right now. Like it's yeah. only three forty five <laughs> in the afternoon where I live, but I'm like I'm yeah. my nap today. Uh huh. Oh my gosh. Um, but okay, so um favorite book in the last 12 months Ooh, uh or one so of many to, okay Could let me novel. give you two uh, yeah okay so one is be the bridge by latasha morrison nice. i just think it's brilliant uh great book on race and being a jesus person yep. i'm gonna throw two more in that are fresh for me right now rich viotis the deeply formed life yep, yep. um and uh, John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I thought it was brilliant. Okay. Um, I, yeah. So those are a few that come to mind quickly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. How about what's one thing you're just giving an easy yes to these days? Who? Time with my kids. Nice. Yeah. And you have two, yeah. you said you have two kids? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my little one's two years old, uh, <laughs> Chloe and... Yeah. So no time with my kids. I, as much as I have to frame my work days, uh, I just cherish the time. Yeah, man. I love working at home these days and I work at home even before COVID I worked at home plenty, but like having mm-hmm. kids at home, you know, on a school break, my oldest Isaac would come down and we have a ping pong table right outside this room, you know, they, yeah. so we'll yeah. play, you know, 10 minutes of ping pong and then he'll boom upstairs. And I just have loved that, you know, like, Oh, that's like, so cool. That has been such a fun now that he, now he's back at in-person school, but, um, okay. Yeah. But anyway, okay. What do you have no time for these days? No energy for no time for it. What are you just saying? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Defending, I'm going to be kind, defending poorly thought out reactions against something I've written. 
There you go. I'll say it the nicest I can. <laughs> funny man. I just asked. I was just interviewing someone else. I don't even like. I was just having a conversation with someone else, but it was on my podcast yesterday. Asked them the same question. They had the same answer. Wow. You know, yeah. And it's interesting yeah. because, you know, well, you're you're a pastor. You're a thought person. I so am I. I feel the pressure at times to sort of, you know, put out some some thoughtful stuff that's. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. also challenging, you know, thoughtful, but also on the edge to in, invite myself and others on a journey. And then, you know, if I get some pushback, feedback, okay, I'm going to engage with that. And yeah, um, yeah, and I think we should. But there's also just like, no, I do not have the energy to go after the trolls, you know. And I'm, oh, man, I think it's okay. Like, I finally just said, no, I'm. I'm blocking, I'm deleting, I'm, mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. If, and, and my criteria is if there's no, if there's no inquiry, if there's no genuine desire for back and forth, or if it's simply just a character, you know, like if they're treating me like a yeah, character yeah. and God help me if I've ever done that, I'm sure I have to someone else, but mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, hope I haven't, but then, then that's my, that's my thing, you know? So, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I'm right there with you. In fact, um, well, I block people if they're just like, if what they say is just like not relevant to the content I'm presenting, I'm just like, yeah, you're here to troll or whatever. But then, you know, I get those comments that are all in bold, you know, all in caps sometimes, like, and, it, and they've copied and pasted in King James, you know. And, Stop talking to me on Facebook, yeah, Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know what I mean? Like, it, or or it's just like, you clearly don't love Jesus because I'm just like, come on. Like, no, no, you don't get to say who I am. I'm sorry. You know, I can be a real jackass at times. I try to be thoughtful, but at times, and at times I've been called out and at times it's like, Oh, I'm glad that I was called out. Yeah. 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 Same. Like, like the times that I get, like you're a pastor and you're not telling the, your, your people, the truth about this, this, or that mm-hmm. from people mm-hmm. that just don't even know me. I just go, right. You know what? No. Anyway. Yeah. So no, yeah good. Session back and forth. Um, yes. I love it. I love it. Okay. You guys more um, rapid. Let's ask, let's see. Okay. Let's that we're done with the rapid fire round. Okay. Okay. I ask you a couple more questions. Um, yeah. And one is, so you're a pastor, you planted a church, it's been a year of COVID. What's been your yeah. biggest like delightful surprise about in, in the time of COVID? I've been delighted, to be honest with you, with the people who consider our community their core church environment. Um, engagement, you know? People have not given up on church. They've not given up on what we do together. Yeah. We're... Zoom has been this weird thing where we've learned, hey, there are actually some community building things that are okay over video. Yeah. That I think will probably apply after this is all over, 100%. you know? Uh, I mean, tonight I'm going to be hanging out with some some guys I'm in a smaller group with, and we have this app called House Party where you can play Uno and <laughs> play trivia games and stuff. It's yeah. Zoom plus fun, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we'll be on there and it'll be great, you know? Um, I, I think we could do that instead of having to figure out when everyone can drive to the same place in the region, which is so hard in a city. So like it, it, yes. Yeah. 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 So that's been huge. Honestly. You know what? Yeah. I agree with you, Kurt. I've, we found the same thing and like we did, mm. 
we did a couple of different um, when at during Advent we we follow the seasons of the church calendar and during Advent sure, sure. we um, we did a couple of different book groups on Scott Erickson's Honest Advent amazing oh cool yeah yeah get into that if you haven't but um, yeah so we did like a noon one on Monday and a seven o'clock one on Monday mm. and you know. It was both of those groups were so amazing. I mean, they really were like, oh, we did yeah. four weeks. And I thought about like in winter in Minnesota in December, people are usually busy. Noon, ah, wouldn't have worked, you know. And seven, ah, maybe a couple of people would have driven in. But the fact that it can be Zoom and we can, we did breakout rooms, you know, and so people could mm-hmm. really talk. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I totally agree. And I've, I've found the same level of like, are people, I can't believe it. You know, they're still engaged, yeah. still doing it, yeah. still hoping. And yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah, that's really cool. Cause yeah, th- I think, I think that gives me hope for whatever comes next. Yeah. You know, yeah. Okay. Uh, as a spiritual director, my wife's a spiritual director as well. And, oh, cool. and yeah. I, I've seen one for 10 years now. I just saw him this morning. Mm. See him once a month. How do you see the work of companioning with others? Hmm. Wow. Wow. You know, one of the images that really stands out for me is midwife. Yeah, um, I like that. You know, I, I like to come alongside folks and help them see what's being born before they can even see it's conceived, you know? And, um, I do that very, uh, I have to take my teacher hat off most of the time in those those environments, right? Like it's about listening. It's about being available to the Holy spirit. So in a spiritual direction session, um, I want to hear from someone how, how they're processing their life with God and how, how I can maybe highlight, have you noticed that mm-hmm. dot, dot, dot? Have you considered I'm seeing, you know, it's a lot of these observational sorts of things. And I think midwife really captures that yeah. because uh, I think the role of a spiritual director can be to notice what God is on the move towards yeah. and uh, help people find it, you know? Uh, yeah. Notice what God is on the move toward and help people find it. I love that. That is very well said. Um, all right. Well, gosh. I think we got most of my questions plus about 10 others. So that was fun. Oh man, this um, is so fun. Dude, you are great. So echoing hope. Uh, and I assume, you know, we can get this at um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, mm-hmm. Target. Is there a place that you point people to like the, the best place that people should click on to, to get your book? Sure. Yeah. You can just go to echoinghope.com and it'll redirect you to my book page and, I think there's icons for pretty much any store that you can think of and you just follow the follow the icon. You can also get a free uh, couple chapters to check out if you want to do that now. Um, but yeah, definitely echoing how eh, I can't even talk here. <laughs> Echoinghope.com. <laughs> it's only two o'clock yeah. times, four o'clock my time. So I can I can start stuttering. You got a little uh, I gotta get I've yeah. gotta get a second cup of coffee, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um and then um, okay. So I'm, and we're going to put that on the show notes. So just steveweens.com slash awesome. show notes, uh, search, uh, for Kurt Willems or echoing hope. They'll be tagged on that. And, uh, you'll find out how you can follow Kurt on the socials as well as yeah. check out, uh, his book, get those free chapters. Uh, there's, there's a video out now that sort of, yeah, teaser. we'll, we'll put that on there as well. Uh, anything you want to say about the podcast? I and mean, we can link to that too, of course, but 
Uh, yeah. So Theology Curator podcast. Yeah, yeah. Theology Curator. It used to be called the Paulcast. And so I started out just talking about Paul things and yeah. was kind of more academic. Yeah. And uh, in short, about a year and a half ago, decided, nah, I, I wouldn't get broader than just that. Yeah. And so uh, sometimes it's nerdy theology stuff. Sometimes it's interviews with uh, authors of pastoral things. Cool. Um, so it's kind of the whole gamut. Yeah. And uh, I think you can find it pretty easily at my website, uh, theologycurator.com. All right, Kurt. Well, this was delightful. I feel like oh. you and I could probably <laughs> sit around oh, for hours. Um, with yeah, you. I agree. But I thank you so much, Kurt. Thank you for being open, being you, telling your part of your story, being sensitive about all those things. And um, I really hope lots of people get their hands on your book. I hope, mm. I hope groups of people read it together and talk about it. And I hope you meet fascinating people because of it um wow I hope wow just one of the you know hope it sells tons of copies and <laughs> i hope you meet fun people um ah uh, and i hope that would be a gift travel yeah. you know next summer uh, that'd be fun so oh um, man that'd be so fun yeah. oh well thank you wow and, and have a great rest of your day hey thanks so much Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.